Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened the Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be God the Potter. Let's begin in Jeremiah chapter 18. In Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in the first verse, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I fought to do under them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, wherewith I said I would benefit them. In this chapter, we find the account of the potter as he remakes his artwork. We can learn a lot from this chapter. We know that God is the master potter who has designed us and fashioned us out of clay. Understanding what the potter did with his clay in this chapter helps us to better understand what God does with us as his clay. Understanding God as the potter is the first component of this. It's the foundation. Isaiah 64 and 8 tells us, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Verse 6 also told us, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, So are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. The word for potter used here in the Hebrew means to form or fashion. Due to this definition, the word is not always translated as potter. Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Here it's translated as formed. Also, Isaiah 43 and 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Isaiah and Jeremiah both understood that God is the potter and that they were the clay and nothing's changed. We are the clay. Understanding our position as the clay is the next component of this. The relationship between the clay and the potter is very unique. The clay's only job is to submit to the potter and to his will. 
The clay doesn't act on a will of its own. It doesn't choose what it will be or how it will be molded. These things are all up to the potter. Unlike actual clay, we have a free will. We're given a choice. We have a say in the matter. God never desires mindless submission from us. He wants us to submit to his will, but he wants us to do so because we want to, not because we're being forced to or feel that we have to. We should know why we're submitting and have actual real reasons. We shouldn't be doing it just because someone told us to. That's disingenuous. The more that we experience the Lord and the more that we study the word of God, our motives will begin to change. Instead of being motivated by fear or by pressure, we're motivated by our love for God and by the knowledge that God never wills anything for us that isn't in our best interest. When we know this and are sure of it, it makes submitting to his will far more easier because anxiety and worry cannot coexist with certainty. Certainty is necessary as a part of our experience with God because over time it leads to trust. When we get to the point where we love and trust the potter, it frees us to let our will become secondary to his as he molds us and bends us and shapes us in the way that he desires to. Next, we need to look at how God accomplishes his role as potter because this role is very revealing about his character. Pottery and ceramic work are very unique in that they're a form of art. In an age where there are so many people who adhere to deism or the idea that God isn't a personal God, that he's a far-off, distant, existential being who either doesn't care about or isn't involved with his creation, this mindset can easily be refuted by the concept of God as the master potter. The word of God doesn't teach these things at all. It teaches quite the opposite. It teaches that God is a personal God who cares very deeply about us and who wants to be an active part of our life. The image of God as the master potter only reinforces this idea. Pottery is not something that could be done automatically or by machine. It's done by hand. It's something that requires a lot of time and a lot of care. It requires skill and patience and design. It's a hands-on activity. We see this even at the creation. Other than man and the animals, everything else the Lord spoke into existence. But he treated mankind differently. He was hands-on when he made man. He took clay from the earth and formed and molded Adam. He had a specific design for him, and he took so much care as to make him in his own likeness and image. He was so detailed and intricate in his design of man that thousands of years later, we still haven't learned all that there is to learn about the human body. Our God is a hands-on God. He's not afraid to work with his hands. He formed and designed us the same way that he did Adam. He not only forms and designs us in the physical sense, he forms who we are as a person, our personality, our talents, and our abilities. All of these things produce our dreams, our hopes, and our aspirations, which if in line with the will of God, he plans out how and when they will manifest in our lives. The Lord plans out the events that we go through in life and the events that take place around us. The word for potter that we saw earlier is translated as formed in 1 Kings 19 and 25 and Isaiah 37 and 26, both of which are worded exactly the same, both having to do with Hezekiah and Israel's battle with the Assyrians. They say, Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass, 
that there shouldest be to lay waste defense cities into ruinous heaps. God forms, designs, and molds plans, just like he does with us, as he brings them to pass. God is personally involved in every aspect of our lives. It's part of his job. That's how he does his designing. Let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, beginning in the ninth verse, it says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Then eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Verse 16 told us, Then eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. Molding something is not a one-time thing. It doesn't happen instantly. It's a process, which is what we see here. God isn't finished forming us and molding us when we're born. It's a process that goes on throughout the entirety of our lives. That's why we grow and change, not only physically, but also mentally and emotionally and spiritually. The growing process is really the molding process. Many times when we find the word perfection mentioned in scripture, it has more to do with a state of maturity than it does with literal perfection. This is another aspect of the process of molding. God uses this to get us from a state of immaturity to a state of maturity. The process of molding is done in a number of different ways. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, and teaches us so that we become who he wants us to be. John 16 and 13 says, How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. He does this guiding mainly through our prayer and through our listening inwardly for his voice and his response. Isaiah 30 and 21 tells us, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, it's through his speaking to us that he either affirms us when we're doing what's right or that he corrects us when we're doing what's wrong. He not only speaks to us inwardly, he also speaks to us through his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 tell us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Lord has given us his word to mold us into spiritual maturity. The same way that God's role as the potter in our life never changes because he is always designing and always molding. Our role as the clay doesn't change either. 
So many Christians miss their purpose and squander their potential because they refuse to operate as clay. As people, we have a free will, which entails that we can either embrace molding or resist it. As the clay, it's our job to embrace it and allow God to have free reign in our life to shape us in the way that he desires to. It's our job to submit to his will instead of our own. James chapter 4 verses 7 to 8 tell us, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But how exactly do we submit? The problem, as we just saw, is people are double-minded. They want the best of both worlds. They want to do God's will and their will, but it doesn't work that way. One has to be chosen over the other. Our actions originate from our thoughts, so the main part of submitting is allowing our thoughts to be conformed to His. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Conforming is a choice that we need to actively make. Philippians 2 and 5 tells us, With this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to make God's thoughts our thoughts. Verse 17 told us, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! When we have the same mindset as the Lord, then we'll know that he's molding us into something far better than we could have ever became on our own. And we'll know that his will for us is far superior to what ours would ever be. This frees us to embrace the molding. Sometimes it may be uncomfortable. He'll bend us and he'll shape us in ways that we never expected. But in the end, he will make something great and something beautiful out of us. This is why we need to trust God throughout the whole process. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 to 6 say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Verse 4 of Jeremiah 18 said, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Marred is a strong word. We need to look at what exactly that means. It's defined as to go to ruin. It also, according to the concordance, means to pervert or corrupt, especially morally. It's the word used for corrupt in Genesis chapter 6 in verses 11 to 12, which say, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. We can learn a few things from this verse that we need to explore more deeply. When it comes to unbelievers, the marred vessel is what they've become. Whether consciously or unconsciously, their life has become morally perverted and corrupted because of their faults and actions being against God's will and His design for their life. This doesn't mean that they're an evil, terrible person. There's different degrees and shades of this. We may even think of them as an all-around good person. But it doesn't change the fact that they're still morally perverted and corrupted just in a different way. They're under bondage to sin, just like all of us were before we became born again. They're beholden to their default setting, which is their unredeemed, fallen nature, which leads them in the opposite direction of where God wants them to go. This bondage to sin breaks them, morally and spiritually, and if they realize it, it shows them their need for a savior, and it leads to them being a marred vessel in need of remolding. 
The phrase made it again is defined as to turn back or to return. This is the next step for the unbeliever who has been broken under bondage to sin. They need to turn back and return to God. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he have torn and he will heal us. He have smitten and he will bind us up. They need to give their life to Christ and submit to his will. And when they do, God will remold them and change their life. One of the meanings of the word another in verse 4 is another man, which is precisely what the Lord makes us when we come to him. He makes us new. He gives us a new life and a brand new start. We become another man because we begin to change and to be transformed into who he wants us to be as he molds us. As believers, we can also learn from this verse. Even Christians can become marred vessels. We know this because brokenness is a real feeling that people experience. There are two different ways that we can become broken. The first is being broken by something outside of ourselves. This could be something that takes place in our life that leaves us feeling broken, or it can be an attack of the enemy by which he attempts to break us. The second is when we do something on our own that leads to us becoming broken. This happens when we either knowingly or unknowingly go against the will of God and when we choose to not follow his guidance. A state of brokenness is not a place that we desire to be in, but in this fallen world, we find ourselves feeling broken from time to time. Even David, a man after God's own heart, felt broken. He said in Psalm 31 and 12, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. The word broken here, according to the concordance, means to wander away, to lose oneself. This is exactly what causes us to feel broken when we wander away from God and from his will. Because when we lose our connection and our communication with God, when we lose sight of the purpose that he's given us, we lose ourselves. We lose who we really are and what we're meant to be. The Lord knows this and he has made provision for us to be restored. Psalm 34 and 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51 and 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, that will not despise. Psalm 147 and 3 says, He healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. The Lord has promised to heal us, but how do we receive this healing? The first step is turning back to the Lord. Once our life has fallen apart, we need to go to him who can put us back together again. When we lay our brokenness on the altar as a sacrifice before him, he takes all the pieces of our life and he begins to remake us. Then as we submit to his will, he molds and shapes us into something much better and much more beautiful than we were before. If we let the Lord help us, our brokenness will make us better. But many don't do this. When they're broken, they don't turn to God or submit to his will. They only turn inwards and only follow their own will. They allow their broken heart to become a hardened heart. They let their brokenness lead them to being bitter, miserable, angry, and resentful. We're never called to be any of these things. We can't tolerate these things in our life. Once pottery is designed and molded in the way that the potter desires, then it's put into a brick kiln which is an oven heated up so that the pottery is baked and hardened. Once God is molding us and shaping us how he wants us, we likewise need to go through the fire. 
This is part of our sanctification. This is how we are refined. The way that God, over the course of our lives, gets the impurities out of our life. Then when we're finished with this life, we'll be ready to enter into heaven. Even though the fire is uncomfortable and many times painful, just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there will be another man with us in the fire, and that man is Jesus. He is always with us through the whole process, holding our hand, leading us to the destiny that he has formed for us. Isaiah 43 and 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. We need to let the Lord work on us. We know that when we lay our brokenness at the altar before him, he will remake us into something greater than we could have ever imagined. We need to let the master potter do what he's always done and repair and restore us into who he wants us to be. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you today that you are the master potter, that you have a plan and a design for our lives, that you are continually unfolding as you mold and shape us into who you want us to be. Lord, we thank you that you have made us the clay. Lord, help us to understand our role so that we can better be submitted to you and to your will. Lord, teach us that your will is better than our own. Teach us that you always have our best interests at heart so that when it comes time to submit, the devil can't lie to us and tell us that we're not doing the right thing, but we'll have the courage and the strength to overcome his attacks and submit to your will so that you can make us into something better and more beautiful than we could have ever imagined or thought of on our own. And Lord, we thank you that today as we lay our brokenness on the altar, as we lay all the pieces of our life that's fallen apart around us on the altar before you, that you take all these different aspects of our life and you put them back together again, better than they were before. Lord, we know that you are a good God, a faithful God, and we thank you that as we go through the fire, as you refine the pottery that you made in our life, that you'll be right there with us, holding our hand the entire time. Lord, we thank you for all the molding that you've done in our life, all the molding that you're doing right now. And we thank you that you're molding us into something great. And Lord, we receive that promise today in faith and claim it for our life. And we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want the Lord to mold you and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's word together.